invite you to take God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I want to encourage you uh, to take notes as we go through this series. And uh, if you've got a pen, a notebook, if not, bring one next week. Always encourage you to write things down as we go. You can look at it in your own time alone with the Lord during the week. And just recall, I promise you that if you come in here and engage with us, taking notes, underlining things in your Bible, I promise you that uh, when we get done with this study, your spiritual growth, you will see it over the course of this next year. Uh, There's just something about uh, just coming and a note in hand and a notepad helps you engage and remain focused. And I really encourage you to do that. All of the scripture references that we look at, we move fast in here sometimes, I know. And uh, you can write them down and look at them uh, during the week. And I really think it would help propel you in your faith over this next year. So I do encourage you to take notes. The title of the message today is one called Let's Go. All right, that's how I feel about preaching this series and beginning it today. And I hope that's how you feel uh, by the end of our time together. Uh, I have a friend of mine who has said a statement to me over and over through the years, so much so that it's seared into my mind. I can't forget it. He simply says this, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. Nothing like the church when the church is working right. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, and it is the perfect setup for where we're going to go as we study the book of Acts. Because Acts is all about the church, how the church was birthed, how the church grew, how the church advanced, how it moved forward, as we're calling this series. And what we're going to see in this uh, studying this book that is properly known as the Acts of the Apostles, we're going to see what the church is capable of when the church is working right. And what we'll notice is that the church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's not an institution. The church is a called out, redeemed people of God that are fueled and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, when they are fueled by the Holy Spirit, there is absolutely nothing that can stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 1, it's important for you to realize that Luke is the author. Uh, Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel that bears his name. In fact, you can look at Luke and Acts as volume 1 and volume 2. Luke was a physician. He was a missionary. And he was writing these books to a man by the name of Theophilus. We'll read about him in just a moment. We don't know much about him. Uh, But Luke chapter 1, you're in Acts. Just look at Luke chapter 1. This is how Luke starts his Gospel, And he starts Acts off much in the same way. We'll see in just a moment. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, Luke says, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Uh, Again, we don't know who Theophilus was, but that little designation there, most excellent, uh, probably a dignitary of some kind. Uh, It could have been that he was wealthy and actually commissioned Luke to write these things. And so Luke says, I went in careful detail uh, to discover what Jesus did and taught. And Theophilus, his name means lover of God or beloved of God. And so while he is a real person at a real time in history, it's not a stretch to say 
that Luke's gospel and the Acts of the Apostles is written for all of those down through the centuries who would be called lovers of God. This book is for me and for you. And so Luke writes down this orderly account in his gospel. Some translations say he carefully investigated. He was looking at it with painstaking detail, extreme caution and care to get the story right. He takes this same approach into volume two, the Acts of the Apostles. And we pick up in Acts chapter one, starting in verse one, the Bible says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's Luke's gospel, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So volume one dealt with all that Jesus taught, all that he did up until the resurrection. Volume two, Acts, is going to deal with his ascension and what happened after the ascension. What did the disciples do when Jesus was no longer physically present with him? This is what Acts is all about. And so he starts with the ascension of Jesus here in Acts chapter one. We're going to cover it today. And then he takes us through the early years of this dynamic, thriving church. Now this is going to be a fascinating study. I can't wait to unpack it with you. And uh, just to help us get through the text today, I'm going to break it up into three parts. The first one I'm calling the mandate. We see the mandate in verse 4 and 5. Look at Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, them as the disciples. Uh, we know that there were 11 of them at this time. Judas has gone out and hung himself. And if you continue reading in chapter 1, they're going to elect another disciple, Matthias. And the Bible tells us there in verse 15 that there are about 120 followers of Jesus at this time. That's it. And it's going to change pretty fast. But at this time, you've got 11 disciples plus one, 120 followers. Jesus is with them. And he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's the mandate. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus teaching these words? I mean, you followed him for three years. You've seen him up close. You have gone through the gamut of the emotions recently because you saw him put to death. And then you were an eyewitness to his resurrection. Not only that, but according to Acts, he has spent 40 days with you offering numerous proofs that he is alive. That he is who he says he is. And so he's not some ghost. He's not some spirit. As we've seen in the other gospels, he eats with them. He teaches them. They can touch him. I mean, Jesus is back. Can you imagine what this would be like? Now, I don't know about you, but my personality, I know me. I'm a type A. I'm a go-getter. I'm a go-set-ready kind of guy, not ready-set-go kind of guy. And if I've seen Jesus and been with him for 40 days after he is raised from the dead, I mean, put me on team Jesus. Whatever he says, I'm ready to roll. That's why I say, let's go. But Jesus, he knows something that the disciples don't know. In fact, he knows a lot that the disciples don't know. And he knows he's about to ascend back to the Father. He's going to ascend into heaven. 
And so before he ever gives them this command to go, he gives them a command to wait. And notice what they're waiting on, or I should say who they are waiting on. Luke refers to him as the promise of the Father. Verse 5 names him the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that's going to change the name of the game for these disciples. And we need to pause right here and let's just talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Because if we're honest, if you've grown up in church for any amount of time, or maybe you've been flipping through the channels late at night and land on one of those religious stations, you have seen uh, mischaracterizations or misrepresentations of the Spirit. Uh, For some, they make so much of the Spirit that it leads into craziness and dysfunction. Others make so little of the Spirit that they never even talk about Him, avoid Him at all costs. That's not right either. I grew up in the Baptist tradition. My church would have uh, fit right here in this section right here. And I remember growing up, you just didn't talk much about the Holy Ghost, all right? You stayed away from any kind of ghost, especially if it was holy. Wasn't mentioned. And I can remember about nine or ten years of age, we were worshiping, and we had our hymnals out, and we were holding them in our hand, but there was one guy right over here to my left. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'd never seen it before in my life. Had his hands raised, and he was worshiping. I'd never seen it before. Scared me to death. I, I, I remember just looking and kind of wanting to take a step over. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to be one step further away from that man. Never seen somebody, as we would say today, expressing what it is to be filled with the Spirit and lifting holy hands. Never seen it before. So it's important that if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and He is the difference maker in this early church. He is the difference maker in the lives of these disciples. As we see this church grow and develop and move forward. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. In fact, one commentary I read this week said a proper name of the Acts of the Apostles should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And he's right. So we read this book, we're going to discover some major players in the Bible. I mean, Peter and Paul, Silas and Timothy, Barnabas, James, all these names we'll see in our study in the book of Acts. But let me tell you, Who the main player is. It's the one that we know of as the Holy Spirit of God. He's invisible, but I promise you, you'll see him on every page. Working behind the scenes. Working through circumstances and through people. He's the one prompting and leading. He's the one giving insight, opening and closing doors. He is the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Now, why do we call him the promise? What does the Holy Spirit do? What's his role? Let's take a little excursus here, and I want you to keep your hand there in Acts chapter 1 and go to John chapter 14. Because here in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we have the most detailed teaching of the Holy Spirit from Jesus that we have in all of Scripture. Now, understand when we teach that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, what we are saying is we serve one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit. Let me show it to you in this graph here. This is in the ESV study Bible, but I think it'll help us think through this. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. But they reveal, God reveals himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, who is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. God the Son, who is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, who is not the Father or the Son. One God, three distinct persons. They are one God, but they have different functions, different roles in the Godhead. And we say three distinct persons because of personhood. They can think, they can feel, act volitionally, communicate. Each person in the Godhead can do these things. I mean, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can feel. He can speak. He can, he can act volitionally. That's one God in three distinct persons. Now, you could be looking at that, listening to me talk about it, and go, Jared, that's going to take me a minute to get my head around. And let me tell you, it's going to take a lot longer than a minute. All right? Um, it's, it's a spiritual truth. That truly is a divine mystery. And I want to encourage you not to grapple with getting your mind around it as much as resting in this promise. Resting in this truth that we serve one God and three distinct persons. So who is he? What does he do? Well, listen to what Jesus says about him in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another helper. So he's referred to as a helper here, one who comes alongside. Even the spirit of truth. So he's a spirit of truth. He's never going to lie. He's never going to deceive. Always lead in truth. The world cannot receive. I mean, we're learning so much about the Holy Spirit right here. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Ones who have the Holy Spirit are those who follow Jesus. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. And look at this. In the future, he will be in you. Look at John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. One of the main tasks of the Holy Spirit, one of his major roles and responsibility is to make much of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws people into a relationship with Jesus. Look at uh, John chapter 16. I'll start in verse 7. Listen to what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage, he's telling the disciples. This is right before he is arrested and betrayed. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. You will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I mean, it is the Holy Spirit of God that makes you know what is right and what is wrong according to God's standards. He convicts you of unrighteousness and he leads you into righteousness. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. Verse 12, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, look at this, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He makes much of Jesus. And he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So notice the work and the role of the Spirit of God. He is sent by God the Father to those who believe in them. We'll see in just a moment. He empowers us. He bears witness to Christ. He's working in us and through us as we minister in his name. He guides us in truth, convicts unbelievers of sin, thus drawing people to God. Do you see why Jesus said here in Acts chapter 1, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait on the Holy Spirit of God because without the Holy Spirit, without his guidance, without his leadership, without his direction, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Without the Holy Spirit of God, you can do nothing. Not a thing. I saw this illustration years ago. I saw a pastor, Adrian Rogers, did it with his coat. I just chose to do it with a glove here today. But this glove represents my life and your life. And we can encourage this glove to pick up this Bible as much as we want to. Glove, pick up the Bible. Come on, glove. We can exhort this glove. Glove, this is what you were made to do. Pick up the Bible. I can disciple this glove all day long. Tell it why it should pick up the Bible, the purposes for which the Bible is here, and I can disciple. I can get other gloves. I can get other gloves around here. Just put them around this glove and let them coach each other up. But listen, this glove doesn't do what it's supposed to do until I fill it. This is your life. This is the Holy Spirit. Glove, pick up that Bible. Glove, wave that Bible around. Glove, open up the Bible. See the picture here? Simple illustration, but a huge, tremendous scriptural truth. We can't do anything until we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus knew this was the case with the disciples, and he said, you get back to Jerusalem, and you don't do a thing until the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, you'll know it. I mean, these disciples, they couldn't understand spiritual truth apart from the Holy Spirit. That's why they asked there in verse 6. They say, so when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They've been traveling with Jesus for three years. He had taught them over and over and over again that his kingdom is not of this world. It was a spiritual kingdom. And these disciples never got it. They still think it's a political kingdom. They're thinking national sovereignty. They're thinking military rule, get out from underneath Roman authorities. And Jesus, he humbly, gently, firmly reminds them here, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that are fixed by his own authority. He's teaching a spiritual truth, but until the Holy Spirit comes, they don't get it. And so the mandate is you wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And we move from the mandate to the mission. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they're to wait. They're to wait on the promised one, the Holy Spirit of God. And how are they going to know when the Holy Spirit is there? They're going to have power. Luke wrote about this power from on high in volume one. 
Luke chapter 24, very last chapter, verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, Jesus said. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have power. And that power there, it's, it means ability. It means capability. You're going to have the, a, you're going to have the ability and the capability to do what? Whatever Jesus commands. And in this context, it is to be my witnesses, Jesus says. Holy Spirit, power to be my witnesses. This word witness here, you've probably heard this teach. It's where we get our English word martyr from. But it's not limited to someone who dies for their faith. It's a legal term. Word witness actually was a picture of someone standing in a courtroom and testifying, being a witness to what they had seen and what they had heard. I want you to notice the the direct correlation between Holy Spirit, power, and worldwide proclamation. The reason the Holy Spirit was coming was to give the disciples power to be a witness throughout the world. That's what the Bible says right here. We start in Jerusalem, to Judea, to all of Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this incidentally happens to be the outline of the book of Acts. As we go through it, we're going to see the early church being witnesses, chapters 1 through 7, in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 covers them being witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 through 28 covers the early church being witnesses throughout the known world at the time. Power to witness. Holy Spirit power for worldwide proclamation. Now, let's just take our pulse right here. And let me ask us as a church how we're doing in our witness. I mean, this is the mission. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And believers, we get the Holy Spirit comes to live in us at salvation. He's going to come to these disciples. He's going to come to these disciples at Pentecost. We're going to talk about that next week. But for the person who puts their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us. We are clothed with power from on high to be his witnesses. And so I just ask the question, how are we doing at being a witness? Let me ask it in the emphatic you. How are you doing at being a witness for Jesus? You. Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person in front of you or behind you. How are you doing at being a witness for Jesus? LifeWay Research did a study in 2019, so not that long ago. Asked nearly 3,000 Protestant churchgoers. These are people who go to Bible-believing churches. Ask them how they're doing in their witness. And and look at what they came up with. Nearly 3,000 people. 80% of them agreed that I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. All right, That's about 20% too low, but 80% of them believed it. I have a personal responsibility. What's even more amazing is this top right-hand corner, 75% of them feel comfortable sharing their belief. Like, I can do that. It's not a big deal. I can start a conversation. If somebody asks a question, I can, I can help figure it out. I'm comfortable doing it. But here's the shocking thing. Here's the tragedy. Look in the top left. 61% have not shared how to become a Christian with anyone in the past six months. What about you? 
I mean, what if Lifeway, instead of surveying 3,000 churchgoers from all over the nation, what if they came to Champion Forest? What if they came in this section right here? This section right here. This section just walked around and had us answer this question. I don't show you this or share this with you to discourage you or depress you. I'm just pointing out that from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we were given Holy Spirit power to be his witnesses. And I'm just wondering the state of how we're doing. Are we being witnesses in our Jerusalem? The neighborhood that God has put us in. The schools that we go to. Are we being a witness for Jesus? We could talk about Judea and Samaria. That's why we're starting Champion Force Connect, this ministry to, to really get aggressive on planting churches all over North America so that we can give our members an opportunity to go and partner with these churches and serve, but also to give and to pray for them. The need is so great. And I realize we can't do everything, but we can do something. I realize we may not can go overseas, but we can walk across the street. We can do more. We can pray more. We can give more. We can go more. And this is the call on our life. William Carey, I couldn't help but think of his life. I love studying great missionaries. William Carey, when he was 21 years old, left England and for 41 years went and shared Jesus as a witness for Jesus in India. Over 41 years, never took a furlough, never had time off. Not saying that was all that wise. But for 41 years, he labored. Buried two wives on the mission field, three children. Didn't see his first convert until seven years in, sharing the gospel day after day after day after day. He said this, it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. It's the calling on our life. We've been entrusted with so much. Did you know currently right now there are 7,000, somewhere around 7,000 languages in the world? You know only 550 of them have a Bible, a completed translation in their language? There are 1,800 languages that still have no Bible translated in a language that they can read. I was talking with a pastor this week on Zoom from the jungles of the Amazon. He's working with a tribe in the jungle there. And he said, Jared, they have no Bible translation, none. He's begging for me to rally our church to give so that they could have a, 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 a scripture in the language of this jungle tribe. I've been preaching now for about today, 20 or so minutes. Some of you are thinking it's been a lot longer than that, Jared, all right? But about 20 or so minutes. Do you realize by the time I get through preaching, you will have heard more of God's word in the gospel in 30 to 35 minutes of preaching than 3 billion people have ever heard in their entire life. Somewhere between 6,900 and 7,300 unreached people groups Less than a 2% evangelical witness. They've never heard the message of the gospel. 
Never, never heard this message that God left the confines of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and that he came to earth and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on a cross for our sins because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there would be no forgiveness of sins and the only blood that works is the pure son of God and he died on a cross for our sins and he was buried and he was raised alive. There are people that have never heard this message. And God calls me and you, every spirit-filled follower of Jesus, to go into this world, starting in our neighborhood, starting at our workplaces, and to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our calling God's put on our life. I've read Acts chapter 1, verse 8 a million times. I bet I've preached this, this text probably four to six times, but I'm t- telling you, I didn't discover it until just this week, and that's what I love about the Bible. You can study it 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life, and you'll still not uncover the truths and the depths of the gospel. This week, I'm reading Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it just hits me. It jumps off the page into my heart. You realize Acts chapter 1 is a statement? It's not a command. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Now, he does command us to go. That's the great commission, but it's just insinuated here you have his power you'll be his witnesses this weekend i had the privilege the lanier theological library was hosting dr robert morgan he's in our services this morning i'll introduce you to him here at the end of our time together but he's the author of red sea rules the sequel is out the jordan river rules i've already read it it's awesome he wrote the lost art of biblical meditation it's beautiful Uh, but he, he his specialty is writing the stories behind hymns And he did a lecture at the library last night on hymnody. And it was beautiful just listening. I mean, he covered centuries of of how hymns came about. And we had a dinner the other night, and each person going around the table was talking about their favorite hymn growing up. And there were some great hymns listed. But I'm sitting here studying Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and I thought of that old Christmas hymn, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain, what? That Jesus Christ has been born, and he's died, and that he was raised to life. So let me give you some homework on how to be a witness for Christ. Number one, I want you to pray for sensitivity. Start praying for God to make your heart sensitive to this. I mean, the reality is, for some of you, it's just not been on your radar. It's just not been a priority to you. And that's okay. Uh, That just means we need to have a time of repentance and get back to doing what God called us to do. And so pray for a sensitivity. I have a card in my journal, and I've got on there, uh, the lost in the name of Christ. That's what I want written on my heart. I want the lost in the name of Christ written on my heart every single day. So pray for a, a sensitivity, starting in your own workplaces, in your own neighborhoods. Do you know your neighbors? Do you really know them? Are you serving them in Christ's name? Pray for people by name. Start praying for the people that you need Jesus. Start praying them by name. I promise you, you do this, this burden will become so heavy to you. You'll start looking for ways to serve them, to reach out to them. We're getting ready to revamp our missions website so that we can give you a better idea of who we partner with and where your resources go so that you can know how to pray for our church planners and our missionaries that we support all over the world. You can pray for them by name. Just be looking for that. We'll let you know when it's out. Pray for open doors. Pray for divine opportunities. God, interrupt my schedule today. Let me run into someone that needs to know you. 
Open up the opportunity for a conversation to take place. Live in such a way that people ask you why. What are you doing? Why do you give like this? Why do you take your vacation and go to places like this? Why, what are you doing? Why, is your, why do you spend so much time? Live in such a way that they make you ask why. And when they ask you why, you have the courage to speak up. Because I want to remind you, a witness, you can be a witness with your life, but a witness testifies to what they have seen and they heard. I was reading Psalm chapter 107 in my time alone with the Lord this week. Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. At the end of the day, we got to say so. And so this is our mission. Jesus gives a mandate. Wait for power from on high. The Holy Spirit's coming. He gives them a worldwide mission. John Stott said we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And if you want a vision for the world, just watch the news. Because what we see going on in Afghanistan right now, God help us. And we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are Christians, who are on the front lines over there. When we see this, we don't just watch the news and get disgusted with what's going on and how it went down. No, our hearts are broken because of the need. Our hearts are broken because we know that there are pastors on the front lines. We look at Haiti where nearly 2,000 people have died. And our hearts break. God, be with those missionaries that are there be with those churches that are there help them as they're serving in your name we go into the world again we go if we can't go we give and we pray this idea of worldwide proclamation every one of the gospels underscore this matthew 28 19 make disciples of all nations all people groups mark 16 15 preach the gospel to every creature luke 24 47 repentance and remissions of sins must be proclaimed in my name to all nations john 20 21 as the father sent me so i send you we have a mandate we have a mission and then third and finally i want you to see our motivation what gets us up every day and says i'm living on mission for jesus i'm gonna be a witness today what is it the motivation look at verses 9 through 11 And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud, there's that cloud again, representing the very presence of God in the scripture, took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, clearly angelic beings, and he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I love the honesty and humanity of the scriptures. Why am I standing looking into heaven? Because I just saw Jesus go up there, all right? Yeah, I'm I'm gazing. And he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What is our motivation for Holy Spirit-powered proclamation? What is our motivation to live on mission, to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth? What is our motivation? It's the fact that Jesus... He's coming again. He's coming in the same way he went up. That means he's coming physically. He's coming literally. Jesus is coming again. And if I had time, I could take you to parable after parable of Jesus saying, when I come back, you better be about the Father's business. What's the Father's business? Being his witnesses. He's coming again. My buddy Jay Strack, the evangelist, he says, look, there's coming a day. Jesus is going to blow the whistle and say, everybody out of the pool. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so this drives us. 
Revelation 22, 12. It's Jesus' essentially last words. I mean, think about this. If somebody was dying, if somebody was leaving us for the last time, we would hold on to those last words that they said. We would hold on to them forever. And his last words before he ascended was, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in Revelation 22, verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. You know, it hit me this week in my study. You know the one thing we won't do in heaven? I mean, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to praise in heaven. We're going to worship in heaven. We're going to, I'm sure we're going to listen to God's word in heaven. We're going to have testimony time in heaven. We're going to do so much in heaven. It's going to be awesome. We're going to work in heaven. Do you know the one thing we won't do? Witness. Because everybody in heaven is going to be saved. Everybody in heaven is going to be a Christ follower. And so we've got one opportunity to bring people to heaven with us. And that's to be his witnesses here and now. Luther, the great reformer, he said, I live for two days. This day and that day. And that's how we should live every day. I'm living for this day for you, God. And I'm living that day when you return and I see you face to face. And so this is our motivation. And so champion for us, let's not sit around. Instead, I say to you, to me, to all of us, let's go for the glory of God. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org slash connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.